Hey, I'm Stephen Povatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10:15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. In the book of Acts, in the story that we're working through, there are almost, it seems like in every chapter, there are surprising things that happen uh, by the Holy Spirit, by the work of the Spirit that brings about new directions and changes that the main characters in the story could not have anticipated at the time. And it's almost as though the Spirit is moving ahead of them and and the church just tries to keep an eye on what the Spirit is doing and tries to follow along, tries to catch up as best they, as best we can. One of the great surprising turning points in the story of the book of Acts comes in chapters 10 and 11 in the story of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He is a Gentile person. He is somebody who would have thought of as a pagan, the Jewish believers at that time and the whole church, even though this is, you know, maybe a decade or so after the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, about a decade uh, after the church has been spreading out into some of these other regions like Damascus all up into Syria, it's, it's spreading beyond uh, the places that it began in Jerusalem. And in that moment, there is this Gentile person named Cornelius. And he, uh, through this story, is going to become a believer in Jesus. He's going to uh, receive the Holy Spirit. He's going to be baptized by uh, Peter. His whole house is going to be baptized. And in that moment, it's it's a watershed change in the direction of the story of the world. Because this Jesus movement, which had up until this time been confined uh, within the ethnic Jews, is now going to be opened up for men and women of every nation, every tribe, every race, every, every kind of people that can, you can imagine are going to be drawn into Jesus after this Cornelius story. And it's been, you know, the story of Acts has already begun to kind of open that up. We've already seen some Samaritans that have uh, come to follow Jesus. We, we see the story kind of moving out among the Jewish communities into these other regions that aren't just there in Palestine. But in this watershed moment, the story moves into this radical openness, this radical space of God welcoming people from all around the world into the kingdom of Jesus. And it's, it's, just, it's an amazing story. The basics of the story uh, go like this. It starts with uh, prayers and visions, okay? Now, Cornelius isn't starting from scratch here. He's not just, you know, worshiping at the temple of, uh, you know, Aphrodite or something like that. And all of a sudden, it says that he's already, he already knows about God. He is a a devout person, even though he's a pagan, he is someone who has been curious about the Jewish God. 
and he's been praying to that God, and he has uh, been doing good works and giving alms and, and being sacrificial uh, in the name of that God already. There were people all over the, the Roman world who came into contact with Judaism and became God-fearing. They became people who were in the crowd of the synagogue and paying attention to what that Jewish God had to say. And Cornelius is one of these people. In the first few verses of Acts chapter 10, uh, Acts chapter 10 it says this, In Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as, cohort as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, I love that detail in the story. Didn't just happen on it happened on one day, but Cornelius could always remember what time of day it was, right? He remembers just where he was when that happened. He remembers just how uh, where where things were when God got a hold of him in this way. Says it was three o'clock, and he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him. Cornelius, he calls him by name. Cornelius responds and says, it says he looked at him or stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? It's this frightening occasion when all of the things that he's been praying about and studying about and learning about, he is confronted with their absolute reality in his own experience in a way that he cannot you absolutely cannot go from this moment the same. And by the way, it, early in this part of the chapter, it says it was one afternoon at about three o'clock that he had a vision in which he clearly he saw this angel. Later on in the chapter, when he's recounting the story, he tells us what he was doing at that moment of the day. Look in verse 30, skip down to the end of the chapter. Cornelius uh, tells, he's telling Peter this, four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. And then he goes on to tell uh, what this angel is. So this story with Cornelius, on Cornelius' side of the story, it begins with him in prayer. It begins with Cornelius already speaking to God. When the angel comes to him, he says, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers and your, your alms, like the, the, the gifts that you've made to the poor, these things have risen up to God as a memorial. They've, they've come up to God, and God is honoring. God is responding to your prayers, Cornelius. Now, who knows what, I don't know what, Cornelius didn't, wasn't praying for an angel to come see him. But in that moment, God responds to his prayer, and he has this, this vision. It says that they, you know, this is this all takes place over about four days. While they're traveling on the next day, it says that they were, uh, they, Cornelius sends some of his troop to go. He's like, you guys, he, I've been told to go send for this guy named uh, Simon Peter, and uh, you, you go get him. So it says, um, when the angel who spoke to him and left had left, he called two of his uh, servants and a devout, a soldier from the ranks of those who served him, and after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, 
Peter went on the roof. What does it say? Peter went on the roof to what? To pray. So Peter is on the roof of this house that he's at in, in Joppa, in the city Joppa. And while he's there, by the way, that city is connected with what Old Testament story? Does anybody remember? So it's connected with the story of Jonah. Okay, connected with the story of Jonah. Okay. Which is a story about someone who is sent somewhere that they might not choose to go on their own to speak a word of God's grace, to speak a word of repentance. Peter is there in Joppa. It says uh, while he's there, he's uh, he's in this, um, he's praying. And it says that he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered the ground by its four corners. In it, there were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. And the voice said to him again, a second time, while God has made clean uh, this, that you must not call profane. And this happened three times. And then the thing was suddenly taken up in heaven. This is the vision that Peter has. Peter is praying and hungry and in a trance. Okay? And then he has this vision. So in Caesarea, Cornelius is praying and he has this vision. In Joppa, Peter too is in prayer. And in, the, in that moment of prayer, he too has a vision. On both sides of this story, this is the way it begins. It begins with people who are offering their devotion to God. They're offering their hearts to God. They're in prayer and God meets them in that space. God responds to them by giving them something to do. Now, I'll tell you this. Cornelius' side of that, his instructions are so clear. His instructions are so clear in the story. He's told, send people to Joppa. Look for Simon, who is called Peter. He's at the house of Simon, who is a tanner, and that house is by the seaside. These are pretty specific instructions, right? He all but gets it addressed. Send people there right now. Now, I suppose that could have gone another way, too. It could have said, Cornelius, go get your backpack and go your own self, right? Cornelius could have shown up at the house in Joppa just as well. But in this story, Cornelius isn't the only one who has to move a little bit, is he? So Peter gets a different kind of vision. And his requires some interpretation. He sees something, but he's not quite sure what it means, right? It says, now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, this is verse 17 in chapter 10, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. 
They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. And when Peter was still thinking about the vision, he's mulling it over, right? He's trying to figure out, what was that about? What was that about? While he's still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, there are three men who are searching for you. Get up. Go down. And go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, And I am the one you are looking for. What's the reason for your coming? They say, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. They have to say all this because they don't want to get the door slammed on their face, right? They want that we, we know we're talking about a Gentile here, but we don't want you to just shut us out immediately. He's a good guy. You're really going to like him. Everybody thinks he's awesome. Was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day, he got up and he went with them. And some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day they came to Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. Called together some of the people to come join him in hearing what was of such importance. And so uh, when they're all there, he says, it says the, um, on Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and fell on his feet, and he worshipped him. And Peter says, "Whoa, stand up! I'm just, I'm just a mortal. Don't greet me like that. We gotta get, we gotta get this straight from the beginning. I'm not the one that needs to be worshipped here in this story." As he talked with them, he went on in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask what you sent me sent for me, why you sent for me? Cornelius tells him, for four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your alms have been answered. Remember before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God. To listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. 
they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The word that Peter comes and he shares, and there's so many elements of this, a great study that I would commend to you uh, through this week is to go back to what Peter has to say to Cornelius here. And although when I was reading that, you just heard, La da 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 da. He's talking about Jesus. Da 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 da. But he has those specific things to say about Jesus here, doesn't he? He is the judge of the living and the dead. He was killed and he's been raised from the dead. He went about doing good and freeing people who were oppressed by the devil. I think that's a pretty important piece of the gospel word, right? Go back and reflect a little bit some this week about all the different things that Peter has to say. All the things that says before he gets to the part where he says, forgiveness is proclaimed all through his name, right? After that, it says, while Peter was still speaking, the Spirit fell upon, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God, praising God. And then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And it says that they invited him to stay for several days. This is the story of Cornelius. This is the story about God interrupting the normal flow of things so that something unusual and extraordinary and world-changing can happen. It begins with prayer and visions, and I, I think that's partly because in that space of prayer, these people, and Peter had come a long way in this regard, they're both expressing an openness to God, right? In order for this story to take place, it has to begin with this it has to start with a couple of people who are open to what God is doing in the world, who are ready to receive the word that God has for each of them. That's what they share in this space. They share an openness. It's, it's a habit of mind. It's a habit of heart. It sometimes is a habit of our knees. It's a habit in which we seek what it is that God has for us. Maybe that's part of the habit that brought you here on a Sunday morning, right? To seek and say, what is it that God has for me? What is it that God is speaking to me? What is it that God is calling me to do and to be in the world? I think that's part of what we do here, right? We bring that openness. And then from that openness to God, both of these, uh, these people also demonstrate a willingness to respond to God, right? They respond to what's given. Notice some of the language in here. When, when Peter is told, you need to go with these men without hesitation. Later on, when Cornelius is telling Peter how it happened, he said, I saw this angel. I heard what he had to say. And so immediately, 
immediately I sinned and did exactly. And now you've come. Notice how Cornelius' response to God in this story goes, right? He, he sent those guys to go get Peter. And then I suppose he could have just, you know, sat down and waited, right? I'll be here soon. Well, they'll be here in a, it's about two days. And you might want to play some cards while we wait, right? What, what does Cornelius do while he waits? What does he do? Tell me, I'll, that's a real question, not rhetorical. Tell me what he does. What does he do while he waits? In the text, it tells us. What does he do? Thank you. I know other people were saying it, but you said it so loud and clearly. He gathered his friends and family. He said, he went around to other people. He said, hey, look, about two days in my house, there's somebody who's going to show up that has a word from God. I need to hear it, and you probably do too. Meet me at my house. So when Peter shows up, when Peter gets there with this word from God, he shows up to a full house. Cornelius is already evangelizing people before he himself has become a Christian. He's doing some of that work on the front end to say, come on, he's already responding to God. Peter has to respond to God in the things that he has to say. Cornelius responds to God in welcoming the things that he needs to hear and also bringing other people. And it's this dance of being open. Being open to it doesn't really make much of a difference. You're not willing to do something with it when the word comes, right? And so this story has this back and forth of openness and obedience. Reception and response. And through that, there is this movement in this chain. Something new and beautiful and important starts in the world. Peter stays there. It's remarkable. He decides to stick around in the house of this Gentile for a while. And he's fully aware of what he's doing. He said at the very beginning when he walked in, hey, you know, the laws that I know say that I shouldn't even be here or associate with you. I definitely shouldn't be in your house. God's told me to come, and here I am. And then after that, while he stays a little bit longer in the house, he's in this moment where all of them are sharing in the Holy Spirit together. Peter, I'm sure, trying to discern what in the world this meant for the future. The camera shifts for us at the beginning of chapter 11. It says that the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. They hear a rumor of that, and that sounds like a positive thing, doesn't it? It's over the next verse says, and so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, they criticized him. Boy, don't you wish that verse didn't say that? 
that when he's met with this, they, these people that have heard about this reception of the Gentiles, the word of God, it says, Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, why did you go to the uncircumcised men, the Gentiles, and eat with them? Peter is going to go through and he's going to recount this story. This is what happens in the church there in Jerusalem. They're there, they're, they're gathered, and Peter, when, they, when, they, when Peter comes to them, they have this moment where he, uh, they say, why have you done this? Why have you taken this action? And Peter speaks to them and says, look, I, I really didn't have a choice, right? God came to me and told me to do this. And when I did it, he tells, and he, it's, it's, like he almost tells you all everything that happened in chapter 10 again, right? He kind of walks through the whole story. This is what happened. This is the way I interpreted it. This is what God led me to do here and here. This is what the Holy Spirit brought me into. I think this is a pretty important part of the story. Not not everybody here, but some of you grew up um, like I did in, in this kind of the Church of Christ world, okay? And we're not the only ones that have had this kind of conversation, but I, a part of our conversation when I was growing up, part of the things that I were taught were about the acts of worship, the like biblical acts of worship. You guys, are you guys with me on this? Give me a little nodding. Tell me if you, yes, okay. All right, and so you have you have sing you have things that the church did when they were together, and we have singing. What else do we have? Yeah, that's right. It's a very important one. With, with singing, we have the Lord's Supper, with prayer. Okay, we have attending to the Word of God. The sermon usually included in in that in some way, giving. When I look in the book of Acts, by the way, I'm not, I'm not criticizing. I think that's a I think that's a fine thing to to have some attention to. What is, what kinds of things did the church do when they when they were together? Is a I think a good question for us, Matt. There's one that I don't think we knew how to name, but it's one that I see all over the book of Acts. In fact, I would say it's about as common as any of those other, more common than most of those others, except for perhaps the prayer thing, because they didn't do anything as much as they prayed, okay? But something that we see the early church doing over and over and over again in the book of Acts is we see them coming together and telling stories about what God is doing in expanding the mission and asking questions about what it means and where they need to go next and thinking through about what the story will look like from here and there. What is it? Just just kind of getting into the, the mix of what does the mission look like? Discerning mission is one of the most consistent acts of worship in the book of Acts and in the Bible. The community of God's people comes, and sometimes it looks maybe a little hard like it does at the beginning of Acts 11, and it starts with some kind of criticism. Why did you do the thing that you did? And then Peter has to respond with, this is what the Holy Spirit was leading me to do. This is, this is how the story took place, and it ended up with the Holy Spirit, in an undeniable way, defalling on these people. We, we couldn't help baptize them. We had no choice. 
Church of Jesus tells stories about the mission taking place in the world. It asks questions about what's God's, what, what is God doing next? I know this is kind of, listen, I didn't plan this to be on this week, okay? Earlier today, we, I know in the, the order of, of worship, it was, it's weird, but all of, we have this random announcement about our, with our elders sharing about, uh, you know, this contribution thing and the mission that goes with it and what we're doing. And you may have thought to yourself, I'm, I'm sure you didn't, but you, you could have thought to yourself if you're, you know, particularly hungry that day, right? Uh, why aren't we taking time to do something like this at church? My friends, that is every much, every bit an act of worship before God as singing all the songs that we sang. We should be having conversations about mission and where God is leading us and what we're going to do in response to that. I see that happening all over the book of Acts. We should always be seeking where God, by the Holy Spirit, is leading us. And that should be a live question in all of our classes. It should come up and we're in here in this room. It should come up when we're at lunch on Tuesday morning, okay? Where is God leading us? What's God doing with us? Here, Peter tells on this story. Of course, what's at stake in this story for them What's, stake, what's at stake in this story is that they said, why did you go to the uncircumcised men? And they don't say, why did you baptize them? Or why did you, uh, why did you preach to them or proclaim the gospel to them? They say, why did you eat with them? You may have skipped through the part when I was reading that long, the thing that Peter said to Cornelius. Did you catch the little thing that he said when he said that he, that those who were, who were witnesses, this is up in chapter, in verse 41, that the one who were chosen by God as witnesses were the ones who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And there's a line that goes between those two dots. Between Jesus meeting and eating and drinking with those who were chosen as his witnesses. And one of those witnesses pulling up a chair at the table of Cornelius. And sharing a meal with people that were supposed to be on the other side of an ethnic and religious divide for him. Last week, we ended our conversation about the uh, conversion of Saul by talking about how it leads us to baptism and the way that the story of Jesus is replicated in that story of going into the water like, like poor Sean did this morning, right? But the story of Jesus is also replicated when we come to his table. When we come to the table of Jesus for a little bread, a little cup of wine. When we come, not just to what's on the table, 
but to who else is sitting around him. And we come again to Jesus, who meets his chosen witnesses and eats and drinks with them at the table that he sets. And we come again to a table full of Cornelius's and Peter's, people who are drawn together, drawn together to share, share in that meal, share in this life, share in the story, the story of Jesus who gave himself gave his body and his blood for our sake, and then who also draws us into telling his story and giving witness to it in the world. Is there anybody here who doesn't have one of these yet? If you do, just raise your hand and we'll make sure and get one to you. Yeah. And if you will, if you'll take the bread out and do this in two parts today. We are gathered in the name of Jesus. We are gathered as his body, as his people, remembering that his body once was broken and always is being broken for our sakes, for the sake of the world. Now together. Oh God, as we take this bread in your presence, remind us of our place in your body, Remind us of those who are gathered here with us as parts of your body. And remind us of the body broken for our sake. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. stand with me. The gospel of Jesus is that rather than abandon us because of our sin, God has wrapped us in his love, has sibbed his son, and indeed poured out his blood for our sake. Let us pray.